This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Robert Palmer on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area, head over to the Underground Retrocade, where you'll find row after row after row of those classic arcade games that you find simply irresistible. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to No Quarter. The classic arcade podcast. <laughs> That's all. Just no quarter. You left. You left me hanging. <laughs> well, if I had tried to, to do the, my normal intro, it would have gone on for several breaths and uh, off into. Left but that's what gives me a chance to go make a tea. Oh, I see. Yes. Now I'm gonna have to do. The, do the Somehow I would have ended tea? up talking about Japanese baseball stats or something. I don't know. I'm okay with that. How are you? I'm fantastic. Well, of course you are. Spread that rumor. Spread it. I don't need to spread the rumor. Everybody knows. Everybody does know. Look at the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing doing great. Uh, busy, 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 but um, happily sure, so. Sure. What about you? What's up, Mike? Oh, I'm doing all right. Glad I don't live on the East Coast. It's actually been kind of warm and sunny here. Weirdly for, for late January, early February. but uh, It's cold did, and sunny did you, here. Did you catch any of that, that huge snowstorm that hit the, the eastern seaboard? Nope. Of we got a couple of centimeters of snow yesterday, and it's all gone already. It has wow, been okay. relatively snowless here in Toronto. It's just freezing. Many, many, many degrees below freezing. So cold. Well, I can't think of a better excuse than than sub- Sub-zero temperatures to stay inside and play video games. What a coincidence. That's what I've basically done today. <laughs> See, we are so smooth at transitions and stuff. <laughs> we are smooth. Smooth. Are. Like so let's, let's get into it. Uh, I'm sure you have some feedback for us. We did get some feedback. A couple of longish things, some short stuff. Um Let's see. Oh, let's start with Jim. Jim writes in to say, Hey there, Jimmy G here. I host a political podcast called The Side Project Live. I'm uh, also a child politics? of the 80s. Really? <laughs> no, we're going to talk politics. <laughs> Since I'm also a child of the 80s, meaning I was born in the 60s, and as such, I was there for the heyday of the arcades. I'm currently experiencing a lot of free time due to surgery on my foot, and I was looking for podcasts to fill my time. Sadly... I found yours. I'm, I'm mainlining hey. it currently like the podcast junkie I am. Anywho, as for Satan's Hollow, episode 27, a comment was made that you can't increase your firepower. This is false. After you build the bridge and kill Satan, you actually get an additional gun attached to your ship. I believe you can get two of these total for a total of four player shots on the screen at the same time. Yes. As for games you guys hate, elevator action? Really? Come on. The game is a classic, and once you figure out how to get in the red doors, it's amazingly fun. But Man, Rogers, I wish I was still banning people. Buck Rogers, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, yes, oh, I agree to the generic, you. but the visuals and sound really dragged me into the game. I also uh. love... 
Bubbles. It's a great takeoff on the Scrubbing Bubbles commercials on TV. Absolutely Straight love this half, game. Man. I do agree that it could use a trackball. Satan of Saturn? No way. I think this was the greatest game. At, you know what? Sorry, uh, my meds just kicked in. <laughs> some, <laughs> yeah, I figured, some figured we were being trolled or something here. Come on. Says, um, some games I'd like to see you do, I'm too lazy to see if you've done them yet, are... Reactor, Atari's Quantum and iRobot, Astron Belt, which is a Laserdisc game, Smash TV, and of course, all the Star Wars games. The good ones, you know, the Atari ones. <laughs> there, there were also a series of X-rated arcade games. One that comes to mind is Miss Nude 95. I'd be interested in your reaction to that. One thing, uh... play with the win level with 100% now cheats on. That's all I'm saying. Take <laughs> care, love the show, insert generic praise here. Well, Jim, that's a heck of an email. <laughs> Welcome to the listenership. <laughs> Apparently the meds that he's taking are making him, or he's got no filter at all on, on these meds because it just came right out, didn't it, Jim? Um, the thing is, I didn't think he was punking us at the beginning because he's right, right about yeah. Elevator Action because well, no. Elevator Action is a good game. You're wrong about that one. You're insane. Buck Rogers and Bubbles, though. Yeah, that's listeners are insane. Well, yeah. The, the, nobody likes Buck Rogers. Even fewer people like Bubbles or whatever he, he was saying he liked. And always, though, if you have a podcast and you write in and tell us about it, we will link to your podcast in our show notes. That's how much we like getting feedback. So we'll have a link to uh, <laughs> Jim's podcast, The Side Project Live, in our show notes over at monsterfeet.com slash uh, no quarter. I was going to say slash one megahertz. That is not this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 uh, we're pretty desperate for, for people to like us here. So, yeah, if you mention Oh, it, speaking of liking us, yeah, because we just got... We have a large listenership for having a relatively few people liking us on Facebook, you big mm. meanies. And we finally hit th- just 300 <laughs> likes on Facebook. And then someone unliked us and we went back down to 29 or 299. Yeah. That didn't That's last though because now we're up to 301 or something like that. Oh, so, awesome. Thank you for all the love. We love you too. I wonder if that's going like to motivate people. Elevator action and then we don't love you quite as much. <laughs> I like elevator action. I, w- I, I would click like on that. <laughs> Uh, let's um, see. What else is got? Oh, Brian wrote in to say, hey, guys, love the podcast. I'm catching up on old episodes during my daily commutes. I just listened to your Russian attack episode, and I have two memories to share. First, since I live in Canada, hey, I remember seeing both names of this game in the local arcades, Russian attack and Green Beret. I never knew the reason behind the disparity until your show. Second, I recall watching a movie set in the Cold War called Ruskies about young boys who meet a friendly Russian sailor, and during a a becoming friends montage it shows the sailor playing russian attack getting killed by knife wielding americans and they all have a good laugh together creepy <laughs> keep up the great work gents my grandfather used to own an arcade in winnipeg so i have very fond memories of Pacland, gyrus dragon's lair star wars sit down and many other classics thanks to him we had two pinball machines in our home space mission and devil's dare your podcast brings back wonderful memories in and around arcades brian thank you yeah. brian that was very, very nice go jets uh, Jessica wrote in to ask us what we record with, Mike. She wants to know. She said, uh, do you have a colophone anywhere or a list of equipment you use to record your show? She had asking me about other stuff in podcasts. And since she threw that in, I thought I would throw that your way as well. So what do you do to bring us the dulcet tones of Mike McGinnis every week? Well, I record with Carrington and Carrington makes everything sound better. <laughs> but by comparison, <laughs> you see, I'm like setting know. such a low bar that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, as, as far as hardware, I have a, an Audio-Technica 2035 microphone on a stand that plugs into a Blue Icicle preamplifier. And I have the preamplifier mainly because the, the mic is an XLR mic and I need the USB input if I'm going to record on my iMac, which is where I record. 
up until last week, I was recording on Audio Hijack, Audio Hijack Pro, which I think is actually version 2 of the software. And I just recently installed Audio Hijack version 3, and that seems to be a pretty darned awesome piece of software. And, and wasn't that hard to figure out. I, I did it in about 10 minutes before we started recording today. So if it didn't work out, you'll know soon enough. Um, and yeah, I, I think... I don't know, just a, a pair of headphones to make sure that the microphone doesn't pick up what I'm saying back into the mic and getting this weird mic mic loop. <laughs> the mic mic loop. <laughs> the, the infamous mic mic loop. Well, and, and I think yours is probably going to be more interesting, Carrington, because in addition to recording, you also do all the editing for the show. This is true. As for recording, I kind of swap. Like a, I don't know, a fetish for having lots of microphones. I keep thinking there's another solution out there that I can buy a piece of hardware that will finally give me good microphone technique. <laughs> so I insist on blaming my tools for my inability to get this right. I just, even after all the many hundreds of podcasts I've done in, under various brands, I still, I still struggle with setup. So uh, today I'm using an Audio-Technica 2020, which is a USB mic plugged directly into my Mac. I'm on a, a Mac Pro. I also have like scattered around this podcast area in front of me. Um, let's see. I see a Rode podcaster, Heil PR40. This is a Electrovoice RE20. I've got a Shure, uh, what is this, a PG42. I've got a blue, what's the big thick one? This is a blue Yeti Pro and a blue Yeti. Didn't you have some, I, um, uh, some blue drama some, recently? I have trouble with, yeah, I, everyone loves the, the blue stuff, and I really like them too, except they never seem to stay working for me. The, something, something I must have installed on my computers interferes or doesn't play nicely with blue microphones. So mm. not all the time, but every once in a while, at random, suddenly both the Blue Yeti and the Blue Yeti Pro will just start throwing out static. And I don't know why. And it's just I have yet to be able to solve it. So I've stopped using those mics. Um, mostly I will use the um, Shure mic, the PG42, I like a lot. Or the Electrovoice one, the RE20, depending on whether I want to be on USB or um, XLR. If I'm using an XLR mic, then I plug it into my Allen & Heath. It's, a, it's called a Z10, Z-E-D-10, um, which is a USB mixer. And I have to run it through a preamp, which is beside me here. And it's called the DMP3 by, I don't know, by M-Audio. What do you know? So um, because the XLR microphones I, ha I use have very, very low signals, which you think would be okay given that I am very, very loud. I have a very loud personal signal, <laughs> but um, it's hard to overcome uh, how low the signals are on, on these dynamic mics. And so I pump it through a preamp because I have to give it like 60 dB of gain or so before it even gets into the mixers. Crazy, crazy gain needs. Um, so yeah, so that's normally my setup. I, I have waffled back and forth between preferring XLR mics and all the professionalism and you can do all the stuff with the audio and you get a really clean sound, but it's also a hassle and I have to have a lot of things plugged in and I got to run through a preamp and into a, an, um, an, a mixer of some sort usually through a, a, a compressor as well. And it's a whole lot of work compared to just a, a USB mic and you plug it in your computer and you're done. And the simplicity of that trumps the sound quality, I think. <laughs> so I usually yeah. opt for simplicity. Um, for editing, I use uh, Logic Pro. And I previously used to use GarageBand, um, which is free and comes with Macs. A lot of people use Audacity. I can't stand it, so I don't <laughs> use that. Um, for recording, when we record live, uh, we both talk in Skype. I'll use Call Recorder um, to record both Mike and myself as a backup recording. And typically, I'll run Sound Studio 
as the primary means of recording. Um, oh, sorry, as my as my main backup that's recording. And I do run Logic Pro Live as the primary recording um, during the show. So I also run Audio Hijack. It sends, it does a, a recording. I've got Call Recorder recording. I've got Sound Studio recording just myself. Call Recorder does both of us, and so does Audio Hijack. And I'm trying to do a live mix and drop in notes in... Logic Pro because that saves a lot of editing time. So I have lots of recordings happening at once, um, all because I'm so afraid of doing a show and then losing the audio. <laughs> so I do all of that just so I can have lots of backups as we go. Um, and that's it. That's that is the setup. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, I definitely agree with you. We've done 120 of these or something, and I've done 50 or so Open Apple, which that's like two to three hours shows when when they're finished and. Man, it's it sure it's definitely fun to fetishize the tech and talk about all the coolest microphones and and the software and things. But man, when after a while, you just kind of want that stuff to fade into the background and and just be as easy as possible to set up and get going. Because really, what it's about is obviously recording and doing the doing the show itself. And so, yeah, for me, it's about minimizing editing. the The less editing, the better. Ideally, no editing. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Uh, just so I, I'm dropping markers as I go to, cause sometimes things happen, then a cough or a sniff or a sneeze. <laughs> sometimes mic talks and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's the, see, that's the big downside for USB mic setup. Talking. No, no. If you're, if you're interested in podcasting, I always advocate just use a USB mic. It's, it makes it so much easier. But when I'm on my XLR setup, the, it goes from the, the, the XLR pathway before the preamp even is it goes from my microphone to a foot pedal to the preamp and the foot pedal is an XLR mute switch and having a foot pedal that you can just, you know, touch down, it's nice and quiet and it shuts off your mic. So you can cough or, or take a drink or what have you is so convenient and wonderful. And there isn't an equivalent for a USB mic. So when I'm on USB, it's just live all the time and I have to do all my coughing before we record. <laughs> so it does force me to be better. And I'm trying to get to, the goal is to get to the point where the mic is live and there is no editing. Uh, I'm not at that point yet, but mm. I would like to be. Yeah, that would be great because that allows you to – and I think a lot of that is – you know, some of it obviously is throat clearing and coughing that you can't help. But a lot of it's confidence and you know, knowing that, hey, this is, this is going out there as it is. And that can be – for me anyway, that's a pretty intimidating thought. That's why I tend to shy away from doing live uh, podcasts or a podcast where there's a chat room and I can watch people criticize what I'm saying in real time. <laughs> uh, we just have a chat room of just us and i can send my <laughs> criticisms right. by skype he does, yeah he does. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've learned i've learned to to you know i've developed a tough carrington skin though he can say <laughs> most things and not hurt my feelings too much i'm gonna go cry a little, little bit i'll be back in a few <laughs> cry after the show or get a new switch <laughs> oh right yep man up it's time to podcast <laughs> uh sean walters of xgaming.com sent uh sent me a little email here he was uh, X Gaming, of course, co-sponsored our recent giveaway of the X Arcade stick. Just Thank you very much for that. Fabulous of them. Yeah, and he uh, sent the email. It says uh, it's um, they're they're re-releasing. I guess it used to be called the X Arcade Solo, and now it's called the One Player. And until tomorrow, or uh, as you're hearing this, it'll be today when the the deal ends. The stick is uh, fifty dollars, and then it goes back, I think, to the hundred dollar price. But I highly suggest you check it out. And thanks again, Sean. Mm-hmm. I'm, what I'll do is after we do finish the recording, I'll tweet about it because I'm worried that this show will be released the day after the the discount is. Oh, that's is right, it's today. Yeah. <laughs> so, we had that we had that discussion earlier about it's it's the thirtieth here in the United States, but it's January thirty first in Canada. Or so Mike thinks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the truth. <laughs>
No. Um, so we, we got email from someone who goes as Nickname Omen. <laughs> so, uh, okay. He <laughs> says, hey, guys, I love your podcast. Your odd couple dynamic is very inter- uh, sorry, very entertaining, and I think your personalities complement each other very well. I know that Mike doesn't compliment me enough is what I'm saying. <laughs> I also, <laughs> Nickname goes on to say, I also occasionally check out Open Apple as I have a 2C and appreciate being able to hear what's going on in the A2 community. Thanks for the shows on two of my favorite underrated games gravatar and popeye both great games were an evolution in gameplay yet oddly overshadowed by their um precedents um precedents <laughs> make it up words um, folks <laughs> i'm just making up words sorry nickname i'm just throwing in words for you uh asteroids and donkey kong respectively i played gravatar a couple of times back in the 80s but i found it impossibly hard too many buttons to remember however since the advent of MAME, I play it with a joystick for rotation and thrust and only have to press buttons for fire and tractor beam slash shield. It's still very challenging, but much less so this way, and I enjoy it much more. Until I listened to your show about it, I never realized there were four different solar systems as I've never <laughs> made it out of the first one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After playing it for years, I've got to the point that I can't, or so I can get through the first four planets still with great effort, but by the time I get to the last planet, the gravity is just too intense, and I have haven't yet figured out how to get through it without crashing and burning. And since then, it's become one of my absolute favorite games. Popeye has also... Thanks for laying out the backstory of how Miyamoto originally wanted to do a Popeye game, but because of licensing issues, was forced to modify the... In a way, I find Popeye... The controls are much more solid, but the game is still very challenging with lots of difficult things going on. I rarely get past the first screen, but I always go back for more. And surely that's the sign of a great game. Anyway, I have a couple of potential show ideas for you. First, the racing games of Yo Suzuki. Hang On, Outrun, and Enduro Racer. These are all cabinets I'd want to own because the hardware design is almost as integral to the gameplay as the software. Yes, they can be enjoyed, emulated, MAME, but are so much more immersive when played with the original hardware designed for them. You could probably do a whole show on my particular favorite, Outrun, but the cycle games are all very cool too. My simple but I'm thinking games like Atari Skydiver or Taito's Kicks. These are games with simple ideas and mechanics that I always seem to enjoy playing, and as a result, I find them both stimulating and relaxing at once. Thanks again. Keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening. I think those are both very good ideas. Thank you so much. That was very nice of you to write in. Nickname? Yeah, I think that's great. I uh, Popeye was a game especially that I didn't play a whole lot. I didn't play a whole lot before we reviewed it, but it's every time I, you know, as I'm playing the week's game and if I want to clear my eyes or take a break from getting my butt kicked, I'll switch over to another one of my favorites. And Popeye has definitely become one of those that I play all the time. I keep going back to, um, I am, I've been pretty desperate to figure out how to play a driving game on, on here. Cause I don't think you, you I know I don't, I'm pretty sure you don't have a wheel and, I, it just doesn't feel right playing a game with a stick or, or joystick or a keyboard, but maybe that's what we'll have to do because I really want to do at least, I don't know, maybe pole position or, like you said, outrun and um, key, uh, stay tuned for that and uh, we'll figure that out. 
Mm-hmm. I have a spinner setup, and I know you can get a wheel that will yeah, that's true, yeah. attach mm-hmm. to that, and so I could maybe do it that way, but it might be something we just have to play in an arcade. I'm not uh, against that. I prefer to true. play in an arcade. <laughs> yeah. um, as for Donkey Kong, I too find it very difficult. My mind is melted by the people that will get these crazy, crazy high scores. At the same time, though, I'm not a huge fan. I'm sort of Donkey Konged out. Everybody wants to talk about Donkey Kong. It's like Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong. And there's so many other great games out there. And I was never a massive, huge fan of it to start with. I like it. But I don't get why everybody's all about the Donkey Kong. I don't get it. I think because it's it's one of those games that's easy to figure out how to play, but very difficult to master. Every, every one of the experts, when they interview... When I see their interviews, I see them talking about how much harder this game is than than most of the other games that are out there. Now, obviously, it's it's ridiculous to say that it's the hardest game ever and no game comes close. But um, I, I think between Nintendo's distribution of Donkey Kong and making sure that it, several cabinets were in every arcade across America so everyone could play it and, and the fact that it is a challenge, is, there's a certain appeal to that. Nah, I like Gravatar. Okay. <laughs> uh, Andrew wrote in to say, I love your podcast, and I was starting to look into using MAME slash MESS with a front end on a Windows tablet with a joystick, but there are way too many options to figure out what front end would work best in this scenario. So do you have any suggestions for a Windows front end that would work great with MAME? Mike, I'm throwing this one to you because I am not a Windows guy. Well, now, is he talking... It sounds like he's, he's hoping for a, a, a Windows tablet. Uh, front end, and I don't know. I don't have a Windows tablet, so I don't know. Uh, as 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 I recall, it's sort of like sort of like iOS and Mac OS X, where the iOS version of something isn't going to be the same thing that you get uh, on on a desktop computer. And I don't like so, so. If you're just talking about Windows desktop or laptop, um, I Mame UI. Um, is, is the one that, that I play with. It's got most of the configuration options are there. They're easy to work with. All the games are there. You can add in the artwork and flyers and all that stuff fairly easily. And it, it's, it's a simple program. And it's, it's also the one I think that the MAME dev team recommends. Um, but if you're talking about something on your tablet, I can't help you with that. I don't know. I always hear really good things about Maximus Arcade. Okay. Um, and... I've heard, but not personally used, um, I've heard about something that's supposed to be crazy simple to set up if you just want to get something working and you're struggling with there's so many options and so much configuration. I think there's one particularly called Simple Main Front End. So it goes as like SMFE. Um, I'll try to track down a link for that and throw that in the show notes as well because I'm pretty sure that's like specifically designed to be something that's crazy easy to set up. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is having something that gets out of your way and gets you into a game as quickly as possible. Right. That's what I think is more important. What I like about MAME UI is that you can load it up and just start typing like Pac-Man PAC and the the game filters, the the list filters will kick in and narrow it down as you're typing to the games that you're looking for. So that's, it's a very nice search function. It's very, you know, you can have all 28,000 or whatever it is, ROMs loaded into MAME and it's very fast at finding stuff. You get all of the, standard options, you know, your, your stick control and stuff like that are, are available through the interface, but you can also go dig around if you want to get more obscure with the H, uh, HLSL filters and things like that, that's available as well. Um, so it's, it's powerful. A lot of the, the most common features are the ones that are easiest to find, which, which makes sense. 
and it's very stable. I've never had it crash. It seems to be very good at, um, you know, if it says a game's not going to work, the game's not going to work. And uh, so, yeah, check out Mame UI if you're on on Windows now. Again, I, I'm I'm still on Windows Seven because I can't stand Windows Eight on the desktop. So that might be a different experience entirely. I don't know. Waffle, 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 waffle. You are oh. a part of a complete balanced breakfast. Go get Windows <laughs> Seven. Go get Mame UI. Go get your ROMs. Play and have fun. Shut up, Karen. Then Mike will come over and set it up for you. That's right. And then I will tell you what's wrong with it and why you should use something else. Well, I also could write a very stable front end that just tells you these games won't work. <laughs> that part's not that impressive, to be honest. Ten print this game I can doesn't knock work. that one out during the show. Twenty go to ten. <laughs> no, that is not how I would write it. <laughs> um, that would just like be scrolling up the screen. And first of all, how am I going to do this in basic? But okay. Um, so we had uh, Brian, who goes by Applejack, but spelled oddly, A-A-P-L-J-A-C-K, on Twitter, gave us a heads up about the Robotron 100 million point gauntlet. That's right. That at the time, was happening on TwinGalaxies.com. And I just checked it out again, and it's still going as of this moment. I expect it will be done by the time this show gets published, because it's coming out tomorrow. But as of today, Saturday, it is still a-going. Um and it's awesome. I, in fact, that's what I was doing this morning. I uh, spent some time with that running, and it was really neat. And then just watching them go. So there are uh, a bunch of competitors involved, and the idea is to try to reach a hundred million points. And and with with sort of like this kind of thinking, Robotron Robotron twenty eighty four is a crazy talking about difficult games. It's a crazy difficult game, especially to go long in it, and it's one of the few games that you you can go like a crazy distance like some people have actually met, made the 100 million point mark and since the theme of the game is the robots are trying to eradicate humanity this gauntlet is being done where they they're going to play it with the idea that at 100 million points the game gets reset and we're going to consider that that's the point at which humanity has successfully fought back and eradicated the robots because there really isn't an end point to the game so it's a neat idea so there's a bunch of people who have sort of stepped up to defend humanity against these robots and try to save all of us and it's super fun so there's david gomez ken house uh dan tullock mark hoff greg hansen and um uh there's also a, a fellow giving commentary larry demar i think and both, it's super fun i think larry and mark are doing the commentary Ooh, nice double commentary when i tuned in uh they were talking about some people having already achieved it so ken house ended up beating it so he got a hundred million one hundred and seventy thousand eight hundred and fifty points took him basically 21 and a half hours insane and you can get a lot of extra dudes in robotron but i i guess you can get too many and what happened was he rolled over his lives counter so uh, suddenly he had very few one. lives. <laughs> like, can you imagine? It's like, oh. wow, I wouldn't have even thought that you have to make sure you don't get too many lives. So wow. you think it would just max out? No, I guess he rolled it over. And that was one of the reasons why he ended up dying. But after 21 and a half hours, and he did beat the, the 100 million point mark. So thank you for saving humanity. Now, the current high score record owner uh, is David Gomez. So he, in a previous attempt, not too long ago, hit 125 million points. And at that point, he just said, okay, that's enough. And he stopped playing. He could have kept going, but he decided that's a round number and he stopped. He is the person who's playing at the moment. Like as we record this, 
at least when I last looked an hour or so ago, he was on and he was playing. He was 21 hours into it. He was still going strong. He currently had passed the 100 million point mark and he has 212 lives currently in the bank. Uh, he had not reached the 125 million points, so he hasn't bested his current world record, but it looks like he is on his way to do so. So by the time this podcast gets released, there could be a, well, not new because it's the same fellow, but there could be a, a same record holder of a new score because of this. And so all, all very, very cool, I think. It was yeah. neat to watch. So I, I think that this has actually happened for a couple of years now. I, I think it started in like 2012 or 2013. The, the, uh, the robo-enduro, they're, they're kind of calling it. It's, um, uh, two day, it's, two, it's a 24-hour endurance a contest spread over two days to try and, like you said, get a hundred million on Robotron. And I'm reading the comment section here under the um, the announcement, and somebody somebody has said that there have only been two confirmed modern day players who have reached the hundred million uh, mark on one credit, and that being Buzz and, and Neil, like you mentioned. So uh, anytime that's exceeded, that's that's still a pretty momentous thing, even if they don't officially break the world record. If just getting over a hundred million is a big big deal. The other thing that I found interesting was I didn't know, and it's, it's because I haven't been paying enough attention to Twin Galaxies. They have a whole, it's called the Twin Galaxies live page. They have a whole schedule of stuff going on that is, uh, and it's gaming content, television and, and video content that's, that's being broadcast. Um, looks like, uh, stuff like from 1 PM to at least 6 30 PM, um, PST every, almost every day. So even if you don't want to watch this, you know, check out the schedule. There's a lot of other stuff going on. They've got an infinite crisis with Jennifer Zong. Um, there's destiny with Xander Denki. I think I pronounced that properly. It looks like some of it's <laughs> podcasting. There's the street fighter, all nighter casuals, which goes on later on. So some neat stuff going on. Check that out. Yeah. I had not known about this either. I, I was going to make that same point that one of the things I appreciated about Brian uh, tweeting us, this was, I was like, there's a twin galaxies live. What? <laughs> So uh, basically, it's their own version of Twitch. I, I was completely unaware of this. I have mm -hmm. now bookmarked it. There will obviously be a, a bookmark in the show notes. I will I will put a bookmark both to the Twin... It's basically Twin Galaxies Live. It's twingalaxies.com slash live. I'll have a bookmark in the show notes. And I will also link over to the uh, Robotron2084guidebook.com site. They have um, the, the rules and the setup for this race to 100 million, they call it. And so I'll, I'll link to both. But yeah, I, I, obviously I know about Twitch and, and I watch things on there, but Twin Galaxies Live was new to me. Most of it seems to be modern gaming, unfortunately, but there are specifically things on Twin Galaxies Live that are about retro gaming, which is much more interesting to me and probably to our audience. So definitely something people should check out. Sure. I dug it. Me too. It's good stuff. I think that's all the feedback. That's enough. Okay. Now I think when we say this week's game, we should, <laughs> you and I should both say them at the, say the game name at the same time. Well, I now would, know what it is. Well, let's, let's, so I'm going to count down from three and we'll say the game name at the same time. Ready? Three, two, one. Strider. Strider. Uh, you were <laughs> supposed to say swimmer. No. <laughs> well, technically, <laughs> yes. We tried to record this show earlier today. Mm -hmm. um, but Mike. Mike played a different game. Again. <laughs> I blame you, though. <laughs> Mike tells me one game and then plays another. Yes. I, and the reason I played this game is, is this is Carrington's fault. We were talking about which game to play last week, and I suggested Strider and one of us. I'm going to say it was Carrington, even though it probably wasn't. 
said that while we've already played two weeks in a row of side-scrolling shooter platform games, we played Rust and then we played um, Quartet, and Strider is basically more of the same. But because we were talking about Strider, that's what stuck in my head. That's what I played. Carrington, it's your fault. <laughs> sure. So in case you're wondering why the game we talk about this week doesn't seem to match up with the sound effects we played last week, <laughs> then this is why. <laughs> so I found why. out um, this morning uh, about this, this Strider game. The first time I had heard of this game was when Mike suggested it last week. <laughs> and I forgot about it. And so I have played this game now and kind of been aware of this game for about a half an hour. So I played it this morning. Uh, we stopped recording. I rushed off, did a bunch of research, played a bunch of games, got to the first boss, and uh, now we're going to podcast about it. So I might have a little less to say than typically because I have been aware of this game. Even though it's from 1989, I have really been aware of it for about half an hour. And uh, so I played it. I understand it. I feel I can talk authoritatively about it. (laughs) But I may also be making a bunch of stuff up this week. Exactly. So I look forward to corrections and suggestions and maybe more information that we miss that listeners could write in for next week's show. Well, precisely. See, this encourages listener feedback, so it's actually a good thing. That's what I'm going to tell myself. (laughs) So Strider is, uh, as we said, it's a side-scrolling, fight-and-go-right platform type game. It's by Capcom, which is very obvious from the moment that you start playing it. Um, And it was released later on in the the oeuvre of games that we tend to play here on No Quarter on March 7th, 1989. So probably why you've never heard of it, Carrington, because you and not to like arcades were dead so to me by that's, then. Right, that's right and it's um you play you play i'm not sure how to pronounce this it's spelled h-i-r-y-u and i think it's supposed to be sort of a play on hero so maybe hero or something like that uh who is, but in, is it in, one u or two even the flyers disagree about how this person's mm, name is spelled it's h-i-r-y-u and sometimes a second u oh you're Even right in official no. things one sometimes is one true, u sometimes true. is two it's very weird uh the both the capcom and the strider wikis have it as a single u but like you said the flyers have two u's so i'm not sure which is correct uh, oh that reminds me before we before we get any further let's talk about the pronunciation of the word spelled t-a-i-t-o taito taito we've had a couple of lively Potato. <laughs> We've had a couple of um, lively discussions about that, and, and someone sent me a link on Twitter to a, a, a digitpress.com forum thread in which they were talking about the correct pronunciation. And Aussie28 posted, the vowels are separate on the basis that the Japanese have no character for pronouncing a hard I sound. So it's written as ta-i-to. But stressing the separation of the vowels when pronouncing them would be incorrect. The vowel sounds are supposed to be spoken very fast. So it should sound, to a foreigner at least, like a two-syllable word. I mean, English speakers pronounce a hard I virtually the same. Try slowing it down and paying attention to your mouth movements. You'll open your mouth at the start as if you're pronouncing a soft O, or to the rest of the world it's a soft A, since many of the European languages don't pronounce a soft A as in Apple, such as we do. Then you finish finish the I, uh, then as you finish the I, your mouth will close up a bit and tighten, uh, like you're pronouncing it a hard E as in B. So Taito. And then there are a bunch of follow-up responses that say that's exactly how I learned it in my Japanese classes. So probably Taito. Yeah, it's the internet. Yep. 
I'm going to say I, that that's correct, and that's the end of the argument. I couldn't even really follow that. <laughs> so even having heard you just read that now, I'm like, what? Uh, well, I'm going to keep saying Taito. We recently recorded, I'll give everyone a heads up, a little spoiler, a second arcade draft episode, what? which is in the bank for us to if, pull out if we ever have to miss, miss a week. Or if one time we both don't do the right game, you know? <laughs> so we've got literally nothing to say. Well, that'll be our next April Fool's <laughs> And in that, one of the people, I'm not even going to mention who it was, but somebody was on the show and he or she was talking about the pronunciation and said it's spoken in some games. I don't know if it was a home system or arcade or something. would come up with the logo and and they would say it. So I think we have another perhaps definitive um, way to pronounce it. But you have to wait for for the arcade draft to Electric Boogaloo to hear it. And if you really want to know, you just have to pray that we miss it. People often do. Anyway, back to Striders. So you play Hiru, an elite class Strider, which I assume is some sort of soldier. And you are tasked with defeating the legendary being known as Grandmaster Meio. Wouldn't it be cooler, though, if it was Grandmaster Flash? Oh, so much cooler. And there are are many Japanese names in in what we're about to talk about, and I'm going to mess up every single one of them. Uh, Mio has observed... Earth from his dwelling in a far-off galaxy and has created a space station known as the third moon between Earth and its original moon in order to rule the Earth and continue observation. The year is 2048. Armed with a cipher, a razor-sharp blade wielded similarly to a tonfa, which generates metal-cutting plasma called Falcon, Hero must travel around the globe, including the Soviet Union and the Amazon rainforest, to find and destroy the evil being. So he's here on Earth, even though he's observing from the station that's orbiting Okay. Uh, throughout his travels, Hiru encounters many power-ups, including robotic helpers called Options, a satellite drone, a hawk, and a Smilodon, uh, which help him defeat his enemies. He also has the ability to latch onto walls and ceilings using a metallic hook, an aspect which sets the game apart from other platformers. So that's the game. Thank How much listening. this game is set apart from other platformers is something I might want to mm. debate with you. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, Again, I've played it for half an hour, so I've made it as far as the first boss. So it could be, in fact, when we get when we talk about the cabinet, because in that period, I had half an hour of playing while I was also doing researching, so I might have been a little distracted. <laughs> so I was reading about the cabinet and reading about the, 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 the guts of the thing and the history of it and the manga and all the stuff crammed into half an hour during which I was trying to play the game. Uh, and the cabinet has a lot of images on it of things that must happen later in the game because <laughs> the cabinet promises a whole game and all these bosses that I didn't get to. But that said, the bits of the game that I did get to play, it does basically seem to be Rastin in space with, with ninjas. Um, and I, my, my first impression anyway is this is a very generic 16-bit action platformer. I do not understand, at least so far, why this game is so beloved. Because it clearly is. But for me, it felt like you're back in the late 80s and you just want to go over to a friend's house to play Sega Genesis. And that friend is going to charge you 25 cents every five minutes to keep playing. Because it plays and looks and feels just like a Genesis game. Well, I I don't have a lot of experience with Genesis games. Um, this is Capcom. And so, it. I mean, you know, I think by this point... In, in arcade in, in arcade cabinet and arcade game release history, the companies were were setting themselves apart from from their competitors uh, by developing a, a certain look and feel to each of their games. And this certainly, I mean, the minute you start playing, you know, oh, this is a 
Capcom game. I didn't even need to see the the logo because it it, it has the same character movements a little bit as Ghosts and Goblins that you know, which I think was kind of the prototype for a lot of this stuff. But there's also when when Hugh attacks his enemies with his sword, there's certainly it, you can see where they got some of the stuff in Street Fighter because he swings the sword and it's not just a sword swing. There's this big arcing plasma flash that moves across. It's like the like the power up strikes that you see in 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 Street Fighter and, and games like that that would come later on. So uh, to me, screams Capcom. the The music is great. I enjoyed the music a lot more than the music felt a lot less um, generic than the gameplay itself. Uh, the arcade game soundtrack was composed entirely by female video game music composer, Junko Tamiya. She is not credited for her work in the arcade version, but is mentioned as a part of the arcade staff and composer in some of the console, uh, adaptations that were released later on. Okay. I have two responses. Uh huh. <laughs> the first is I want to talk about that. The, 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 the weapon, this cipher. It's weird mm-hmm. to say cipher because it makes it sound like a code thing, but it, they're calling the, this this fighting thing. Falcon. Yeah. Um, so it's like a tomfa stick, which is I think of as uh, the police kind of baton, but it's like a stick with a coming out of it as a handle at a ninety degree angle. Mm-hmm. So that's the tomfa stick. But the part that sticks out is like a glowing lightsaber. <laughs> so yes, it's like a tomfa lightsaber. Yeah. And so it's totally something that 12-year-old me would have invented for like a Dungeons and Dragons character. It's like, okay, it's gonna be like a tomfa stick, but this part is a lightsaber. It's like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> like, and so I find that kind of adorable. And it's like, Aww. oh, is that what you're using? Your lightsaber tomfa? How cute. <laughs> um, so that's the thing. But this game has a feature, well, feature, has an element in it, in the gameplay, in the in the fighting that is one of the main things that turned me off from arcades in the 80s. Like, I, I, I was done with arcades a few years before this came out. Because I don't like games. And it, it, it's a weird thing that started happening in the 80s, in, in fighting games in particular, where there's no impact anymore. In earlier games, if I have a character that has a weapon or uses a foot or fist or something, and... There'll be collision detection. So my weapon will come forward. It will hit another sprite, and that either kills the other sprite or the sprite touches me, I die, or it'll push the sprite back, or there'll be an impact of some sort. Starting at some point in the mid to late 80s, fighting games, and it seems including this one, got to the point where your weapon or fist or what have you just goes right through an enemy in what to my eye is something, well, that clearly cuts the enemy in half. Now, neat thing is, there are some points here where you can actually cut the enemies in half. That's kind of neat in this game. But for the most part, like when you play a fighting game, it'll send things and, and the drawing just shows, well, here, this swipey lightsaber thing just cuts right through the boss and that just took off some health. And I don't like that kind of thing. Like, it drives me crazy when I'm playing a fighting game that you're just all the weapons just go basically through everybody and just sort of wisps through and deducts some some damage. And I was always turned off by that mechanic. And it's one of the main things I don't like about fighters, don't like about arcades of this game, of this era. And this game is the epitome of that. You're constantly swishing your cipher around right through enemies, right through bosses. And sometimes it kills them, sometimes it doesn't. But it really doesn't feel... Like there's no reality. There's there's no impact. There's it's just it's all just wispy stuff on screen. And it's a real turnoff for me. So I don't like that element of this game. I'm saying, I agree. Yeah, I, I think that 
because because they're they're basically throwing swarms and swarms and swarms of enemies at you, uh, and they're just kind of expendable obstacles that you have to get through to get to the to the boss fight. It, you know why waste time on the animations? I guess I don't know because this is we'll talk about this in a minute. The CPU is more than powerful enough to to do kind of give it that impact if they had wanted to, and they just chose not to. Um, the game is very colorful. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I liked the fact that you could, you know, kind of shimmy up walls. And, and when you jump, you could, if you jump high enough or, or far enough, you do this little cartwheel in the air instead of just, which is nice because it's sort of a departure from a lot of the earlier platform games where when you would jump, you would just sort of do this hop thing where, where your character would, you know, pull his knees up to his chest and, and sort of springboard up to the, to the next one. So um, the animation. Yeah, super acrobatic. I really like that. And, the, and you're right. The backgrounds, like the settings are amazing. Like this whole, the worlds in which this game are set are gorgeous to look at. Like it's really just, oh my gosh, really beautiful looking. Well, and in fact, the, they have, they had a team of scroll designers who apparently did nothing but work on the backgrounds and the scrolling in this. There were, they have listed, and I'm not going to bother to try to pronounce these. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven different names associated just with the scroll design team on the uh, on the the Strider wiki page. Well, speaking of groups of people, then it's interesting that this character, however he's spelled, one or two U's, a hero, uh, was created and is credited to somebody named Moto Kikaku, who's not one of mine. person. No, oh, it's not wait. one person. It's a group oh. of artists. <laughs> it's a group of artists who like jointly shared the copyright and came up with it together and just sort of published it as one name. And there was a, there was a manga as well, which I've read part of, and there's an NES port of this game, and that port kind of ties into the story of the manga and the arcade really doesn't have much to do with it but it's the same character so I guess it's that famously this is part of this you know character's life and this character's all over the place all of which was new to me so uh, but I, I like the fact that it's it's got a neat backstory and I and I like that it's I thought it was one person and then I started reading I'm like oh why do you keep referring to this person as a they and it turns out it's a bunch of people pretending to be one the, the Strider wiki uh, refers to Moto Kikaku as Hiroshi Motomiya's artist circle who worked on the manga. Ah. Yes. An artist circle. So maybe Ooh. that's what Moto Kikaku is, is an artist circle? I don't know. Uh, there is, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people that put a lot of time into this game. And, and there was a, an NES version that came out uh, that has, like you said, story-wise, I guess nothing to do really with with the arcade game radically different, but just as popular as, as this was. Yeah, and there's a Genesis version. I mean, we'll get to the ports later, but the sure. Genesis version seems to be a big one. Okay, I want to read you something from the flyer for this. Please do. Uh, because then I want to ask you what this is about. So it says, because it, <laughs> it describes the game a bit, and like most flyers, it's aimed more at the arcade owner rather than the player, which I always found a little weird, but it says, Master the Art of Ninjutsu, or Ninjutsu, actually, with Capcom's new smash hit Strider. You control the action of this future ninja from the year 2048 AD as he battles his way from the rooftops of Moscow through the jungles of the Amazon to the skies over planet Earth. Strider with his totally unique acrobatic flags hmm, flags must be flips <laughs> incredible <laughs> climbing ability and amazing gameplay will keep your players filling the cash box featuring Capcom's exclusive computer aided difficulty adjustment which automatically adjusts to each player's skill. So what's up with that? I didn't 
I mean, I, I haven't played this much, obviously, but was it uh, adjusting itself downward for me? Or is this something where it ramps up the difficulty? We've played games before that sort of claim to do that. I didn't really notice much of it in my playing. But again, I played so little, maybe didn't have a chance. I played a lot, didn't get much further than you did, because this is a difficult game. But I, I didn't notice anything like that going on. This is sort of one of those weird, you know... Um, concepts i guess that a company could throw at somebody and not really ever have to prove so maybe it was just sales speak i'm not sure well somebody could write it in and let us know because i wonder if it is a game that like keeps the level low enough that somebody it doesn't get hard too hard for them or is it a game that says no the better you do we'll just keep ramping up the difficulty until you give us another quarter yeah i I think maybe that's it because uh, this is a quarter muncher. They do expect you to use the continue function. Um, they, th- they just throw a lot of stuff at you. And it's it's a, uh, because there's, at least for me, there's so much going on on the screen. It's really kind of hard to pay attention uh, to, like, if my health is going, if my health is getting low, I'm just going to keep running until I die rather than, oh, gee, I should slow down or maybe, you know, try and seek a, a power up to help me. Um, you know, I just oh, die a few times and then the game is over and I get the continue function. Um, I yeah, like you said, it, the game itself is the play is pretty generic. You know, it it it, it for me followed the same pattern as Rostin, where I could you know I, I wanted to like Ghosts and Goblins and couldn't because of, of some problems that I had with it, and those were I don't I'm sure that using the word fixed isn't the right thing here, but were not present in these games, and so I I wasn't able to enjoy this more than say Ghosts and Goblins, but. As far as fight and go right games, you know, other than the neat little jump animations and stuff, uh, didn't really feel all that interesting to me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I do see that you know there's a, a certain mix of fantasy and sci-fi going on here, where a lot of these other games either went kind of the complete fantasy route and just we'll just ape uh, uh, Conan, or they went the they went the you know the fighting the evil dead, that sort of thing. And that I didn't see a lot, or it's a fight game, like just I'm going to kick your butt sort of a game and not a whole lot behind it. So the, the sci-fi story behind it is really deep and involved, and I could see where that would appeal to to players. The, the smooth animations, and again, the, the music all kind of come together nicely. And, and I think probably if I play this game a lot more, um, and I didn't already have, you know, 10 years of other arcade games behind me, I would I could easily like this game a lot more than I did. You said ape, and it made me think that this game has a giant mechanical gorilla in it. <laughs> well, maybe it does. I didn't see one. <laughs> I didn't see one either. So the, um, I did get to the first boss and got mm. past the first boss, and that was the thing that I enjoyed. Like I, I was really finding the game super generic, and I was like, I don't get why. On the, I had my screen split, and like one side of the screen, I'm playing the game, and then I'm also looking over in the right and trying to read about the game at the same time, <laughs> like cram, cram, cram. And I kept reading all these glowing, this glowing praise about the game, and everyone's loving this thing. And meanwhile, on the left side of the screen, I'm like, I, I don't get why this is so exciting. Um, but then I got to the first boss, and the first boss is really, really cool, and something I hadn't seen before because you, you come into this area. That's like a well. There's people in an audience. It's like an ancient Greek court kind of setup. But then suddenly, 
they all jump down from their seats uh-huh. and they join up into this weird human centipede thing <laughs> that shoots bullets out of its mouth and it's got it's wielding a, a hammer and a sickle well that's you know subtle <laughs> it's because you know late 80s so of course the enemies are russians and that was neat and you basically have to jump on it and kind of ride it while you're hitting it and that was super fun and it took me a while to get past it and i liked that and i was like you know there's 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 kind of humor in that. There's really, it's really interesting character design. So that won me over. And it, and it was kind of like about time because leading up to that, it just seems so generic. And well, it was pretty, but it was generic. This character I liked. I've read about subsequent bosses, but haven't been able to get to them yet. There's uh, Mechapon, which is the giant mechanical gorilla I mentioned. And then there's a, a bounty hunter named Solo. So basically, I guess we're dealing with Boba Fett, but with Han Solo's mm-hmm. name. Um, there are these three Chinese martial artists acrobats named the Kuniang MI team, I think it's pronounced. Then you're going to be in some sort of flying battleship and you have to defeat the core of the battleship itself. And then you're up against Captain Beard. That sounds super fun. (laughs) Captain Beard. And then you have to go up against like a mechanical Tyrannosaurus Rex. That sounds cool. So it does sound like there's some really interesting boss fights to come. But if you're playing on one quarter, as I was, or one virtual quarter anyway, and you hadn't played the game before, I could easily have given up on this game before I even got to that first boss because it just seemed like, you know, Rastin in space, being there, done that, I don't need another one of these. Though I really did enjoy that first boss fight. Well, and it's sort of a shame that the first level is that bland and and generic because the times that... But I did get further into it. The, the the enemies and the combat and things got a lot more interesting, uh, at least for me. I was killed by wolves. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> Give you a heads up. On, um, I didn't get that much farther, and I was eaten by wolves. I think one of the one of the reasons that this is this game is sort of a standout as far as the players who love it. You know why they love it is because Hiru has some unique moves. Uh, he can do a, a slide attack. So you hold the stick down and press jump, and he does this little, it's like almost like a baseball slide, um, and you can also use that to get under uh, projectile, duck under projectiles and, and other hazards. He has the, they call this the diagonal jump, which is the main one. So that's the cartwheel thing that he does when he's going between level, going vertically between levels. They have the, um, the what they call the acceleration jump, and this was the one where so when he runs down an incline, he'll speed up. And by taking advantage of this acceleration, you can jump farther than normal. Um, it's not something that you can do all the time, but um, it definitely will get you across some of the bigger gaps. And then there are a bunch of different power-ups, um, what they call power-ups in the game. And it starts with a, with an item box, an item capsule, and these are little containers that are found throughout stages. And they were what hold most of the power-ups. Then there's the... The uh, kanji mark known as the high, which uh, restores a life unit. There's the uh, man. I'm not going to pronounce. And it literally these, is a kanji but, mark. It's yeah. like just there's some words on the yeah. screen. Yeah, there's <laughs> three. Like, okay. Yeah, and there's three of those. There's another one that upgrades the life bar by a unit, uh, and there's one that restores all the life units. And then um, there's a cipher power up, and what that that extends the wave range. So when you swing this thing, you're not just swinging the sword. It it kind of does this. Does this um, um, plasma blast thing, which again looks like the the Street Fighter power attacks, um, and the Cipher power up gives gives that wave more range for up to a hundred swings. Uh, invincibility, you're temporarily uh, immune to all damage. You kind of glow this uh, gold color and leave this sort of after image. It's kind of a really cool visual effect, and it lasts for about fifteen seconds. Um, the one up gives you an extra continue. That's only found in the second stage is Siberia where you got killed by wolves. And then there's the option 
The option A will follow here around. Up to two option A's can be active at any given time. If you find a third one, then you get an option B. And then the, the wiki here doesn't talk about what that B is. But finally, there's the Pando. And this is a bonus item that Grant gives you 400 points. It's only found in the third stage. I found it once. It's, uh, it's uh, the Battleship Balrog stage. It's hidden behind a stack of bullets and disappears shortly after being uncovered. So you got to get there quick. I did not get that far. <laughs> I did like the the variety of of enemies I had to face, even in the bits of, that I've seen, because like you're up against human henchmen things. But in addition to the wolves, who I later met and ate me, but there's lots of like little robot things that you're fighting against. And there's even one that looks like the Ed Two Hundred Nine from Robocop, <laughs> the kind of spidery walking thing as well, and lots of little robots. So I, I kind of like the variety of that, and it seems that that variety continues through the game. So that's kind of fun. Um, also, I would give it points for it's got speech, and I like the fact that the speech isn't all in English. And I wasn't sure. I'm not really sure wh- whether I was using the the Japanese or North American ROM or what have you. I just played well, the first that, one I had, yeah. and but the speech, like some of it, was in English and it was kind of laughably funny. He will never leave Eurasia <laughs> alive. But there was lots of speech in other languages, and I dug that a lot because it, it it's supposed to be a multicultural game where you're you're racing across various areas, and I liked the fact that it wasn't translated. It was different people speaking in different languages. So I get right. definitely points for that. I can't remember encountering that countering that before. Yeah, so there's Japanese, Mandarin, Russian, Spanish, and English. Those like are the it. languages that you hear. The languages. Um, one of the, I think, for me, one of the appealing aspects visually is that um, it's such a smooth game. There's a ton of stuff going on on the screen. We talked about the beautiful backgrounds and the scrolling, and and when when hero moves, some games, you know, when you when you play, they I think try to save. CPU cycles by, you know, they'll drop a frame of animation here and there. And, and sometimes that can come across as, as jerky or, or kind of weird movements. You don't have that in, in this game at all. Everything about the movements is very smooth. And that, and part of that is because Strider is one of the CPS one arcade uh, games. I guess there are about two dozen of these made. So I talked to, uh, earlier about how, um, you know, Sega and, and Capcom and, and the different companies that were, putting out a bunch of games at the time, tried to differentiate themselves visually. Well, they also, um, they would, they had their own line of platforms and, and each one was sort of interchangeable to a certain degree. Sometimes you could swap, just swap a board in and uh, into the, the back plane and boom, it was a different game. Sometimes it required different ROMs or a change here and there. And Capcom had the CPS systems. They had the one, two and three, there was a system 16, there's a bunch of them, but this was a, a CPS one game, which means that it had a Motorola 68,000 at 10 megahertz uh, for the CPU. The, the, it was a raster display at 384 by 224 pixels, used 4,096 colors. And uh, in the case of this game, it was an eight-way joystick and two buttons, one for jump and slash, and then you could do the, the button stick combinations for different, you know, the slides and stuff like that. And it also had a Zilog Z80 at 3.579 megahertz as a secondary CPU. The sound chips included a Yamaha YM2151 at 3.579 megahertz and an Oki 6295 at 7.576 megahertz in stereo, stereo, stereo. <laughs> so I will not be editing in an effect. <laughs> so what you said no, is what they get. <laughs> no echo effect. Man. All right. So, Carrington, tell me tell about me the about box that this box thing, that this comes, thing in. comes in. For the most part, it is kind of generic because I think uh, – look at my look at my amount of research. I'm pretty sure this was only sold as a conversion kit. So uh, there, there was a cabinet, like a generic 
Capcom cabinet that this could go in. But I think that for the most part, 99% of these wouldn't have... If, if you did get as a as a as assembled cabinet, it would be because you were simply buying the, the generic cabinet with the kit already in it. Uh, it was promoted as being the first CP game that could go in any kit... So, or any cabinet rather. So it was like a big push to convert things to this. So it's a very popular cabinet because of that. Um, that said, the art elements that do exist are really good, but there's not many of them. The, the kit did not come with side art as far as I can tell. I've seen a, online a bunch of cabinets with side art. I think those are retrofitted things. As far as I can tell, looking at kit contents and reading the manual that came with the kit... It only came with um, a control panel, bezel for around the monitor, and uh, a marquee at the top. And that's it. So generally, you're dealing with a generic cabinet and three art elements. Now, the art elements that do exist are actually really nice. the the Because they all, they all promise these bits of the game that I didn't get to. And they really <laughs> appeal to me. So up on the top in the marquee, it's got the, the Strider logo very it almost looks like um it's been tagged it's very difficult to read actually if i didn't know this game was called strider i would look at it and go i wonder what this game is called <laughs> like it's almost illegible but it shows the strider fellow with his laser tonfa uh, fighting a, mm. a giant mechanical gorilla that's a game that appeals to me i want to fight a giant mechanical <laughs> gorilla and it has a broadsword stuck through the strider logo so i guess it sort of implies that it's I mean, hey, this is like Rastin. We also have that kind of thing going on, but it wants to look in space. Around the monitor, the bezel art is fantastic because it shows... A, a bunch of a bunch of ladies in fur bikinis, like oh. they're um, oh, no. they're like from the city lost in time kind of thing. And behind them, though, is a f- giant flying mechanical space battleship thing. And to the right, a giant red Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> mm-hmm. And meanwhile, down in the corner is the Strider character who's facing off against another dinosaur. And it's all in like an Amazon setting. And I'm just like, well, yes, please. <laughs> that, that's a movie I would like to watch. That sounds great. And then the control panel, fairly generic. You have a single joystick because it is a one-player game. So bang in the middle is the joystick. And then there's two buttons, uh, one to the left, one to the right. You have a jump and a sword button. So it's an eight-way joystick and two buttons. The control panel is kind of generic. Stride logo in the the front of it and then just the artwork from the bezel. The red swoopy bits sort of continue onto the control panel. So not that exciting. Joystick in the middle and buttons. What's interesting about it is the labeling around the joystick. In a circle around the joystick, um, six of the eight positions have wording on them to tell you what they do. And it's odd. So you've got left and right. Those make sense. But then you've got jumping, ascending on the top and crouching, descending on the bottom. Two that are weird, though, is lower left, it says descending the slope. (laughs) And then like (laughs) upper right is ascending the slope. And so you've got specifically for that one part of the game, this slope positions and they're labeled on the joystick on the controller it's it's kind of bizarre i think so it's that sort of made it stand out i don't know why they picked those particular elements from from that particular part of the game were worth labeling but they did so there you go there's a cabinet what does it cost i don't know didn't have time (laughs) so i'm gonna say it costs three hundred dollars sounds good to me (laughs) that would be my guess so there you go a fairly fairly generic cabinet but i really like the art elements that do exist Okay, makes sense. But the, my problem with the cabinet is my same problem with the game. 
in that it is generic and it come it's generic stuff from a period that I considered overly generic in arcades and I was turned off by them and enjoying the exciting home stuff that was going on and the arcades just seemed to be trying to keep up with that. And Capcom was one of the game makers that didn't have a home platform. So Sega was like, yeah, we're putting out games, but mostly we're doing for home. And Nintendo and all these people were making home systems. Capcom was one of the brands that didn't have a home system. So it was like, we could do Genesis games too. Look, and they put them in a the cabinet. So it's just all a little too generic for me. Cabinet's a little too generic. Game's a little too generic. Not my era. Yep, I think I'm right there with you. I did enjoy the music quite a bit. That was a, a big part of why I liked it and the, the character movements. But overall, kind of a bland game. I got further in than you, and so I, you know, it does get more interesting further in, but not much. Uh, the, the Strider Wiki lists the head designer as uh, Kuichi Yatsui, who also went by Isuke. That was uh, his name in the credits. Uh, again, the music was composed by Junko Tamiya and Shui, S-H-O-E-I, I assume I pronounced that somewhat close, uh, was head of the uh, the artistic illustrations. The game was ported to a lot of different stuff, not the Apple II, but uh, the Amiga, the Atari ST, the Amstrad CPC, the ZX Spectrum, the Commodore 64. There was a PC-DOS version that showed up on the Mega Drive, the Master, uh, Mega Drive Master System uh, the Sharp X68000, the Turbo Duo, the PlayStation, the mobile phones, virtual consoles, uh, the PlayStation Network, and it is included on the Capcom Classics Collection Volume 2 PlayStation for PlayStation 2 and Xbox, and they remixed for the PSP. I think what made this game, everybody likes this game now, and I suspect it's a bit of like, it's like Russian revisionism in the history <laughs> going on here. I, because, I mean, the game was popular and sold okay, but seems like quite a generic game to me. But I think what happened was, like, the, the, the main character from this, this hero, appeared as a playable character in Marvel vs. Capcom in 97. And I think that is what made the character so popular. And people then remembered the game from Genesis, which seems to be a very popular home version of the game and the NES version. And I think subsequently... Everyone is now saying that they love the arcade game. But I bet you if we went back in time and quizzed people <laughs> in 1990 and said, list your 10 favorite games, I bet you most people wouldn't have had this on their list. Even people who today say it's their favorite. I don't think they, they're right about what they like. They were lying. No, the game also did, there was a reboot of this game that came out just last year in February uh, for the PS3 and PS4 and Xboxes 360 and 1 and the PC and stuff. It was put up by Doug, Double Helix Games. And it was very well reviewed. But to show you how much I think of this game, I only discovered that today during the research. So this game was heavily promoted just a year ago, came out, highly reviewed, reviewed everywhere, did decent sales. No, most people are giving it like four out of five stars. I was completely unaware of it because it's the sort of game that I just blank out. It's like when I surf the net. Oh, remember that phrase, surf the net? How old am I? <laughs> Information superhighway. <laughs> exactly. When I'm on the infobon, then <laughs> I will be on websites and I will be unaware of the ads. Like you get to a point where you can just, I don't see them. They're off to the right and there it is and doesn't bother me because I am unaware. It's like I'm a Tronosaurus Rex and they don't move and I just don't. <laughs> Same thing with this sort of game. I can be reading about games, but I don't see the ads for this game and I don't see the reviews. I am unaware of them. I can be browsing the shell shelves of stuff that's come out for PS4 and I won't see it because I don't care. <laughs> and you know why I don't care? Because when you swing your sword, it goes right through someone and it doesn't kill them. And I'm like, just that's a, that's a game, game breaker for me. A well, deal breaker. A game breaker? <laughs> it's a game breaker. <laughs> there you go. 
Well, I think there's definitely something to the idea that the popularity was because the characters showed up elsewhere. It wasn't just Hiru that showed up in another game. It was also Tong Pu, Solo, and Grandmaster Mio all appeared in the crossover strategy RPG game called Namco vs. Capcom. And Hiru, Tong Pu, Mio, and the option robots appeared as cards in the SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters series. So now people do love this lots stuff. Of Marvel crossovers. vs. Capcom, all these versus Capcom games. Yeah, they like fighters the in general stuff. are hugely popular. On, on, we, when we did the arcade draft, another person who was on that, I'm not going to name names yet, was talking about going to. Wait, no, maybe this was the draft. You know, I'm going to say it was Quinn because <laughs> it was Quinn. I think it was in the last show. She was talking about going to that. Um, arcade expo thing and how one of the super popular areas was the fighters like people love the fighters i get that i am the weird person who doesn't but to me like this game well i i I like the look of the backgrounds i liked the flippiness of of the character the main character i really enjoyed the acrobatic part the controls are bang on like holy cow this thing is just well well controlled i just felt smooth as silk Exactly. And with it, which I just really, really responsive. The buttons were right on. And that's in MAME. And it was just like no complaints. A lot going on the screen and it was just really sharp controls. So that was great. But I don't like fighters. And this is a platform game as envisioned by a fighter game maker. Clearly. The moves are like fighter moves. Like you were talking about how you can do the duck. It's all just like. People who would prefer to play playing Street Fighter, let's make them play a platformer and give them Street Fighter controls. It's just, and I just don't dig it. I the the fighter elements of this game are the bits that pull me out of it. I would rather have a straight ahead platformer, and I'm not even that big a fan of platformers. <laughs> just I, I'm not a fighter game guy. And this is the third week in a row we've played one. Which probably you can yeah, probably next week too. No matter what <laughs> game you tell me, I tend to play. You're probably going to still make me talk about a fighter. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I didn't have quite the fighter association with with the game that you did because uh, my main objection to the fighters is you know the, the ridiculously complicated six buttons plus you know the eight way joystick and all the weird combinations. And here you just had the one. The one stick, the two buttons, and the combos were fairly easy to remember. And the other thing I don't like about most fighters is... That's actually not, a really good point. There's not a lot of variation going on. I mean, it's just you and and your opponent in... Me and loss. <laughs> right. In a jump Not board. a lot of variation. You there's and your, me standing, right. and then there's me lying down. Right. And, and <laughs> not a lot of variation. With, with a, a static junkyard in the background, or or a grocery store, or a parking lot, or, or something like that. Nothing changes. At least here, you, you've got the scrolling, again, very beautiful background, and there's m- more to it than that. But yeah, definitely a, a very strong association with Street Fighter and some of these later games that I'm just not interested in. So, Carrington, how did you do in 30 minutes of play? 800 million, but no, I <laughs> so I did beat the first, if it wasn't for the last game that I got to play in my half an hour or so of playing, my score would have been well under 10,000, because the reality is you reach the first boss and I would die, and I kept having to start over, like holy cow, I played that first bit a lot, oh, I say a lot, okay, yeah, five times over. Yeah, talk about that, but... Um, uh, and then, but, but then you get a bonus. Like, so, so I finally got to jump up and I did get past the first boss into this snowy area, which was kind of cool. And then I was eaten by wolves and that's the best <laughs> I did. So my score was, uh, 18,650. Uh, but most of my scores were in the 8,000 range. So a big chunk of my actual score is just because you get a bonus. So this game is all about beating the bosses, it seems. And so depending on how far you get and how many bosses you can defeat will determine your score. But, uh, 18,000. 650 was the best that I did this morning. What about you, Mike? 
Well, um, having the advantage of playing for an entire week, uh, <laughs> I, I did get further than you. I, I could typically get to the to the third area, but not very far into that. Uh, total was uh, ninety eight thousand six hundred points, and I have been bested. <laughs> well, <laughs> holy I, moly! <laughs> I did have a little bit of an advantage. It's, part of it is that first area is actually pretty. It, it's very easy, and, and I think maybe you that's. Suck. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that, that it's not all that interesting is you just slash for the enemies. You can get, you you may not make it past that first boss fight, but you'll always get there. It's, it's not that hard to get to the end of that. Yeah. That's exactly the first time I played, I made it to the, that the first boss, like, right? Just, I was like, wow, look at me. I'm, just, I'm hit the first boss. And then I just, I kept dying there. I just, until I finally figured, okay, you got to ride the boss. You got to hit it, hit it in the head. You know, you sort of get what you're supposed to do. And then it ends up being not that difficult, Right. Um, a, a boss to, to fight, uh, but I just sort of had to figure it out, and it, it cost me a few virtual quarters to figure that out. Yeah, it, it just it, it's not a lot of challenge that early on, and because it uses a checkpoint system, you end up covering a lot of territory over and over again to get back to that boss um, to, to figure it out. So it, it's kind of unfortunate that that it's such a dull experience for for the first level because it does get at least for me it, it got a lot better. Uh, once once you get beyond that point and it gets challenging and interesting and fun and it's unfortunate that they basically kind of put a almost what feels like a trainer level in some of us only got to the trainer level so screw <laughs> you um so overall what's your take on this game i think pretty, no one's gonna be surprised mine but um <laughs> is this a cabinet you'd want to own is this no. a game that you'd want to mm-hmm. continue playing did it make your main favorites tell me about the love you have for this game um, it's more of a meh that I have for the game. Maybe a little bit, a little bit of light going on there. No, no love. Uh, I'd certainly, you certainly like you, it, but you don't like it, like it. <laughs> <laughs> don't like it, like it. I'm not taking it to the prom. Uh, I didn't, um, it, you don't need this cabinet. You don't need to buy the cabinet. Like you said, it, because it's shipped as a conversion kit, there's nothing interesting or unique about the cabinet. It's just a stick and two buttons. So you don't need a cabinet for this. It's not a multiplayer at a simultaneous game. So you don't have multiple, you know, three play people can't play at the same time. So you don't need a cabinet that has stations on it to, to make that easier. There's no, no need at all to not, it, it works perfectly fine in, in emulation and that's the way you can play it. If I if I want a platformer game, I'll probably finish try to finish Rostin before I'll play this game. So I'd say this is a close second to that. Um, there's I did find um, as far as the play itself, assuming like okay, I'm going to play a, a fight and go right platformer. Uh, I found a lot to like here and, and not a lot that really drove me over the edge like Ghosts and Goblins. So yeah, I'd say it's not bad, but it's kind of forgettable. I would say I would actively not want to have this cabinet, not not because I hate the game or something, just because if I was going to have one of these games, since it is a CP1 game and those stored the games on removable ROM cartridges, this is a single-player game, and there's a lot of other games I would prefer to play. So I would rather have a Capcom two-player cabinet, like get something else, get a yep. Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, a 1941 or something, and then you could temporarily put in this ROM cartridge, as long as it's got an eight-way stick and two buttons, and play it that way, just sort of slid over to the left a bit. <laughs> but then you would have the option to throw in a different cartridge and play something else, because there's a lot thought. of other... So I, I would actively not want to have this as a cabinet. It was only a kid anyway. There's nothing that special about the cabinet. And I would never be so into this game that I would want it and never want to swap it out to something else. So for me, I would, if I'm going to have a, a 
a CP cabinet, a CPS system kit cabinet or whatever, um, I would pick a two-player one and then, you know, basically Street Fighter 2 or something and then I can temporarily convert it over to this. It's a good idea. Yeah, I think the best good. thing that came out of playing this game this week is because, and I, I really like the fact that the speech is in different languages and I was really enjoying that while I was playing. I was like, oh, it's really cool. It reminded me of a movie I quite liked that I haven't seen in forever that I've been <laughs> in a watch day. It's a movie called Gunhead. Do you know Gunhead? I've heard it. I have not seen it. Yeah, no, it's spelled G-U-N-H-E-D. I highly recommend our listeners to watch it. It's, it's a Japanese cyberpunk slash giant robot movie. Oh, um, just about an international group of people that have to go basically deep, deep, deep down a system deep, to deep, deep fight undercover. giant robots. And, and what's neat is there's different characters in the movie who all speak different languages. Uh, Brenda Bucky's in it, and she's awesome, and she's speaking English, but there's people speaking Japanese, etc. And so there's subtitles on. So you, it doesn't dub it. And the way the subtitles work is like when an English person's speaking, then there will be Japanese subtitles. And when a Japanese person's speaking, there'll be English subtitles. So you can sort of follow along the bit you don't. But everyone just speaks their own language at each other. And I thought it was really neat. So I, I enjoyed that movie. Uh, it was the movie, in fact, that made me not want to have a Laserdisc. I'd never seen a film on Laserdisc before, and there was a there was a sort of underground showing of Gunhead, and it was on Laserdisc. And so I went to a place, and we were like in the back room mm-hmm. of ice, and they were going to show Gunhead. And I'm like, oh, cool, Japanese cyberpunk, this is going to be awesome. And I was really, really into it, and I was loving the fact that there's, you know, it's, it's cyberpunk, and there's different people speaking different languages, and the subtitles are really cool in it. And then suddenly halfway through the movie, it goes to a blue screen, and it says, <laughs> turn disc over. Turn the disc and I was like, uh, no. <laughs> like, no, that is just never going to work for me it <laughs> interrupts you mid-film it's like nope this whole format is dead to me <laughs> so it was the film i love the film and it and it killed an entire media platform for me in Carrington. one show you do know that later versions of the doesn't matter players did that automatically right you <laughs> never saw that nope it was too too late it killed it for you me. i was like i was like you guys you guys stunk as a way to play arcade <laughs> Well, games. that's true. Yeah, there was that. And now you stink as a way to play movies. Your entire platform <laughs> is dead. So that's what I think of Laserdiscs. They were killed by Gunhead. But Gunhead is a good movie. And I'll have a link to something about it in the show notes. And just a real quick thing here. The, the soundtrack for the 2014 remake uh, of Strider has been, is being universally praised. It has remixes of the original music uh, plus new, new, um, new tracks that they came up with and most of the gaming sites out there are calling it the best game tra- game soundtrack of 2014. So if you're into gaming music, you might want to check that out. Hmm. <laughs> he said dubiously. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I like I liked the I thought the music in this game was really well done and really suitable to the game itself, but I would never be listening to a soundtrack. Fair enough. So, Carrington, um, should, we, should we just play Swimmer next week? <laughs> you, you can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> Wait, say it with a straight face? Yeah, you know what, you know what I mean. Carrington, should we play Swimmer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Who knows what we're playing? <laughs> we're playing Swimmer next week. Well, excellent. It sounds like this. <laughs> swim, Again. swim, swim. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. I wonder what we're really going to play next week. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. 
feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Me?